Well, welcome back to Harmonize Your Life Conversations on Self-Care for Women of Color podcast with your host, Dr. Tony G. Alvarado. I'm so excited to have you with us again this week for another um, informational and inspirational uh, podcast conversation. We are um, today going to be continuing our discussion for Women's History Month, um, talking about women's history and changing the narrative um, uh, for women's history, particularly as it relates to heart health. Um, we um, had our previous episode, um, part one of this um, conversation on heart health. We held with Georgia representative, Georgia state representative, Doreen Carter. And so today I'm delighted to have with us in the podcast studio, another uh, voice um, that can help us and teach us and enlighten us on these issues that um, literally um, the information that we will receive today, I believe will change lives and certainly help us to live um, more healthy and uh, a more harmonious life. So I'll be right back right after this with our guests to continue the conversation, changing the narrative, women's history and heart health. Be right back. Right. Well, again, I am delighted to have in the podcast studio uh, today um, a new voice to our podcast. Um, she's not been on with us before, and I'm um, and I recently uh, was introduced to her through our sister and our friend, uh, Representative Georgia State Representative Doreen Carter. Our guest today is Jane Morgan, MD. Uh, she is a cardiologist and the executive director of the COVID task force at the Piedmont Health Care Corporation in Atlanta, Georgia, the largest healthcare system in Georgia. And within this role, she serves as the system COVID vaccine expert, analyzing the science and the data from Piedmont and nationally, drives efforts to addressing vaccine hesitancy, via education to internal staff, external stakeholders, media, and the greater um, external, external community. Dr. Morgan has been named the Health Equity uh, and COVID Task Force for the governor of the state of Georgia and selected to support the Department of Health in its series of Ask the Experts. Additionally, she serves as a CNN medical expert contributor and is the owner and creator of the Stairwell Chronicles, a social media series directed toward addressing questions surrounding COVID vaccines in a controversial uh, format. Um, Dr. Morgan is um, published in the areas of congenial heart disease, uh, interventional cardiology, and COVID-19. Moreover, she serves as the Chief Medical Officer of the American Chemistry Council, where she developed a new transitional research program, CEO of 40 Million Beats, LLC, with clients such as Novataris, Abbott, and Moderna. The cardiology advisors to the Mitra Clip team at Abbott Labs, the worldwide director of the cardiorenal drug development program at Solvay Pharmaceuticals and the assistant professor of medicine at the Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Morgan currently serves as the president of the Southeast Life Sciences Association, the single largest biotech association in the Southeast. She's an adjunct assistant clinical professor of medicine 
at the Morehouse School of Medicine. She co-chair, she is the co-chair of the Health and Human Services Conference 2022, board member of the National Diversity and Inclusion Team at the American Heart Association. And I'm sure after hearing just a snippet of her bio, you understand why I wanted her to be a part of this conversation and enlightening us, teaching us, and helping to get the message out concerning heart disease among African-American women and families and heart health and what we can do uh, preventatively, correctively, or, 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 or just to help change the narrative concerning women's history and heart health. Will you help me welcome to the podcast conversation this week, Dr. Jane M. Morgan. Welcome, Dr. Morgan. Thank you, Dr. Alvarado, for having me. Thank you for agreeing to be a, a part of this conversation. As um, you already know, um, I was just so taken back by your presentation when I went when I attended the Go Red for Women event um, uh, with um, our sister and our friend uh, Doreen Carter. And um, prior to going to that event, I was actually looking for a, um, a, a African American female cardiologist to come on the podcast to talk to us having the understanding already knowing the statistic or the the uh, probability of um of heart disease being the number one disease among black women and uh the number one uh cause of death among black women and black and uh, african-american families but you shared so many things with us at that breakfast that I just, I mean, I have not been able to, to really shake some of the things that you shared with us. So first off, thank you again for your, your work and the work that you are doing with, um, with heart health and education training of our community. And um, if you'll just open up today, just with some, uh, as we get into this conversation, if you would just open up and let us know you know, why you are passionate. Obviously, as a cardiologist, you're concerned, but you, you're you not just concerned. What I saw in your, in your presentation was passion. I saw compassion and I saw passion for educating and community, our community regarding heart health. And I just want to know, where does your passion come from? When um, COVID began, you know, it, there uh, was a big scramble at the hospitals, you can imagine. Uh, we were caught somewhat flat-footed with regard to the uh, severity and the critical nature uh, of the on, uh, oncoming of this SARS-CoV-2 virus, this uh, severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 2, that we all know is COVID. Um, and uh, we were uh, unprepared with our supplies, our PPE, right? Our personal protective equipment. Mm -hmm. um, and that was the first surge alpha. Uh, and then uh, we sort of maybe hoped that would be over. And then uh, came beta. Um, and then I think with the Delta surge, it was clear to us that the, that the uh, COVID virus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus was mutating very rapidly. Uh, there were going to be a number of variants and what was happening. It probably took us to that third surge, the Delta surge, to really, as a scientific community, um, have a full understanding of the need for communication of science. Mm -hmm. um, scientists are not in the business of communications. We're in the business of treating patients, understanding technology, um, of uh, conducting research. Mm. Um, and we generally publish that research amongst ourselves and read it in our language with our lingo. Um, but here we had a COVID surge, we had a COVID pandemic um, in the middle of the um, well-established social media age. 
And the scientific community was unprepared for that. Many scientists are not even on social media. Um, and people who had large platforms mm -hmm. began to step into the gap to communicate science. Mm. Um, the majority of these people, when I say majority, 99.9% had no scientific background. Maybe I would go so far as to say had not even ever taken a science class, maybe. Mm. Um, and yet um, had large followings. People trusted them for whatever they were following them for, and then began to listen to them with their opinions on science. Mm -hmm. um, and we started to see an undermining of the voice of science, the integrity of science. And then mm -hmm. there were other people who probably knew better, but intentionally were spreading malfeasance and using it for their personal agenda um, and ideology. Um, and so I began a series called The Stairwell Chronicles to try to address uh, scientific issues with COVID, specifically mm -hmm. with COVID, okay. such that people could understand them in an understandable way. And so that sort of began my formal communications journey. Now that we are uh, hopefully on the tail end of COVID, we will see the numbers are still uh, going down, but more slowly than I would like to see them, but they are still going down. Um, I transitioned to begin to talk about other issues of importance. Okay. Um, one of those issues is health equity, which I think you heard me talk about. The other yeah. issue are women's health issues mm -hmm. um, and, and cardiology. And so with my Sterile Chronicle series, I sit down, I talk about those as well, but I also go out and give speaking engagements. And I think that's what uh, you were in the audience uh, at mm -hmm. uh, an opportunity when I was giving a speaking engagement regarding that. Yeah. Um, and so it was interesting you said a couple of things um, that I want to just kind of reiterate: um, you, you are not as scientists. You're not. You're not in the business, or you were not in the business of communication. But because of the miscommunication that we were, uh, a lot of the miscommunication that we were receiving, it it really behooved people like yourself to step up and communicate. And what I really like what you said was that you took language that you would normally be speaking to other scientists in mm -hmm. the in your scientific language where mm -hmm. you all understood each other but now it becomes um it becomes imperative that you all break that language down into layman's terms if Right. Uh, so that the public and so that we could understand because it was very confusing for everybody. I mean, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know if, we, if it was spread by touching, it was spread by coughing. You know, I remember, you know, we, I mean, it was just, I was afraid to go outside for a minute. Is it in the air? Is it, you didn't, you didn't know. And so to be able to have people like yourself educating us was so, it's so critical. Right. In my stairwell chronicles, I literally sit on the stairs of uh, my house. Those are my stairs. That's yeah. actually my house. Those are my clothes. I'm not in a white coat. And I sort of talk to you as your sister, your friend, your neighbor, your hairdresser, um, whoever you see, your cousin. Um, and in 60 seconds or less, the videos are just 60 seconds. I take one single question. In the past, it was about COVID. I take one single question and break it down answer it in everyday language. I mean, my hashtag is science is for everyone. And I just break it down in 60 seconds and give you something. I don't tell you what to do. I just explain the information such that you can make an informed decision about what's best for you and your family. And as people started to follow, you can really just take a leaf and keep putting leaves on your branch until you sort of flesh out your branch. And then over time, you have more and more branches. So you start to build a bush, you start to build a tree. And then you can begin to assimilate that information in little sound bites, um, in easy to understand language. Um, and that's what I began to do. And I started to get a cult following with that. Um, people liked it. They could understand it. Yeah, um, kind yeah. of made sense. And I think we saw for a long time um, the CDC as well. I mean, I spent so much time just um, explaining what the CDC was saying. <laughs> yeah, because we it was confusing. One one week we were we we're told you know you you back you quarantine for. Five days or 10 days and then 14 days. And then they, you know, things was changing so rapidly. 
things were changing rapidly. The landscape moved rapidly, but sometimes the CDC was actually saying the same thing, but just using different language, okay. which is confusing to um, the general public. Scientists and medicines under med and, and people with medical backgrounds understood that the CDC in their attempt at clarity made it even more confusing because <laughs> it sounded now as if they were saying something different when they were actually saying the same thing, but they had changed the language in hopes of making it clear and they were only just obfuscating the entire situation. So clearly a great example, the CDC had no experience in communications okay. and never been in a situation where it was imperative for them to have really good communication skills such okay. that people could understand their job was really to provide the research and data the scientists and the physicians utilize that data to apply it to their patient populations and research. Wow. Um, and so, and then advisories would go out, that sort of thing. And unfortunately, in three years, the CDC never really figured it out. I think they hired a communications company that I hope they fired by now because I saw nothing improve. And so I continued to sit on my stairs. A lot of what I was doing was, let me explain what the CDC said today. Um, and, and so, you know, but I think people found that very helpful. And now that we're on the tail end, I, you know, I still use that format. Uh, talk about health equity issues that you heard me talk about. Do them in 60 second sound bites. I'll be releasing um, another series of those in a uh, week after next, next week I'm running, this week I'm running uh, all heart health, women's heart health issues. Next week I'll be talking about health equity. So if you want to follow along, uh, you can follow me on Instagram, on Twitter, um, even on YouTube at Dr. Jane Morgan, D-R-J-A-Y-N-E-M-O-R-G-A-N. Mm -hmm. Post all of those things, including all of my media interviews as well. So if you follow me, just know I'm talking about science. That's all that I'm talking about. I don't talk politics. I don't talk ideology. I talk things that are germane to science. You follow me to listen to science. And that's something that we, it took us a long time to understand the medical community because okay. people started following people that they, that people started listening to people that they follow for cooking shows and for, <laughs> uh, you know, movie stars and they started getting their science information from these people. I mean, it's the same thing as going to a Russian restaurant and expecting Italian food, but yeah. that's exactly what was happening because I think people didn't have a place to go to hear science. They didn't really even know what to do. So they listened to voices that they trusted, right? Trust yeah. is important. Mm -hmm. And then unfortunately they translated one uh, spe specific area of expertise to another specific area of expertise. Okay. Okay. But this person had absolutely no business, was way out of their lane, way wow. out of their lane. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but the whole thing, as you said, got confusing. Nobody knew where to go. Nobody knew what to say. Nobody understood what was happening. Um, and the landscape was moving quickly. Variants were developing. Um, and you had a lot of people who intentionally, though, were also um, obstructing the voices mm -hmm. of science as well. And that was, that was complicating things. Mm -hmm. People with their own agendas. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you talked about people following and listening to people that they trust, that brings me to another thing that I heard you talk about. We know that in the, um, the um, we have a very uh, love hate relationship with, between the African-American community and the medical community, because a lot of African-Americans do not trust um, the medical community. There's a lot of suspicion around uh, of how we're treated and um, diagnoses and, and uh, opportunities that we have for, um, for, uh, for medical care. So talk to us a little bit about the history of that. Like, you know, expound on, you talked about healthcare equities at the at the breakfast that I attended, the, the I'm sorry, the brunch that I attended. Mm -hmm. And that really, really struck a chord in me. So talk about how these health, um, these uh, healthcare inequities have impacted us as women of color. And so not only um, women, we can talk about women, we can talk about just people of color in general. And I think maybe mm -hmm. I'll start broad and make it um, narrow, but certainly okay. the black community 
um, has a uh, great deal of uh, valid reason to have mm-hmm. reticence in interacting with the medical community. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of research, and I'm putting, I'm using research in quotation marks, a lot of research has been done to validate in many ways the inferiority of the black race mm-hmm. in the name of research. We've had, we, we uh, have also seen a good deal of medical research that was done without the consent uh, of African-Americans and mm-hmm. that being forward and people being harmed because of it. And I know everybody's heard of the Tuskegee experiment, so I won't mm-hmm. go through that, you can certainly Google it. Um, and we also recognize that a lot of the medical advances in our society, certainly from uh, yesteryear, um, were done with the sacrifice of African-Americans. So absolutely, we would have concern with research, concern with clinical trials, and certainly concern with medical centers and physicians. In fact, because of that, um, 80% of Black Americans are seen by Black American physicians. Um, No other race really has that large degree of a skew. And that's 80%. That is not by happenstance. The reason that that happens is that people choose people just like social media that they feel that they can trust. Mm. And so the first thing that blacks look for, at least 80 percent. I know I do. Necessarily the the who has published the most papers and who's done the most search. Who can I first trust to not do any harm to me? I've got to just start there. Um, and so we understand where that is and what that means. And so when I was talking at the front, I also was talking um, about formulas, algorithms, medical equipment that is inherent in the practice of medicine and science that is harmful to Black people that we literally use every day, again, because of this faulty research and faulty premises And these types of practices have continued to move forward. And so I gave several examples and I'm going to go through it now. But if you Mm -hmm. if you um, have any questions, look up my social media, go through my stairwell chronicles. You know, that's the stairwell chronicles because I'm sitting on the stairs. (laughs) Look at the topics and everything I'm about to tell you now I've gone through in my stairwell chronicles. Okay. Okay most recent one. So you don't have to scroll back a year. Just look the last two or three weeks. Okay. When we talk about pulse oximetry, so pulse oximetry is when we measure the amount of oxygen in your blood. If you've been to a doctor's office, emergency Mm -hmm. room, you may have, it's just a little clip Uh at the the end of your finger Mm -hmm. and tethered to a little machine and the machine Mm -hmm. tells you how much oxygen you have. Mm -hmm. Um, We now know that those machines can be inaccurate depending on the amount of melanin in your skin, depending on the amount of pigmentation, because the way those machines work is they measure the amount of light that passes through your skin. And what does melanin do? It reflects light. It blocks light. And so what happens is, is if your oxygen levels are low, the machine could actually read them as normal. Therefore, even though you need medical therapy or you need medical treatment or you need to be admitted to the hospital, you might be discharged because your oxygen levels are normal or you might be relegated to wait longer in the emergency room while they triage patients who are more critically ill than you are. Mm when in fact you are also ill and may actually be deteriorating. So not only are you triaged to a lower level of care, you are triaged to a lower level of concern. Oh, oh my goodness. You are, you are, we are triaged to a lower level of concern and care. Wow. Mm -hmm. Based on the melanin in our skin and the the, the fact that well, not, not based on the melanin, the melanin is because the machine is not picking up right. 
with the machine and the machine which was built in 1974 we first came out with this technology was not tested on diverse populations but it is distributed throughout the whole world the majority of the world's not even white mm, mm. very common the other thing is as you know during covid three years into covid to gain admission into a lot of facilities that, that maybe we had to get into or mm -hmm. hospitals or your schools, people would check your temperature as you come in yeah. with a forehead thermometers to make certain that you didn't have a fever. Forehead thermometers work in very, very similar technology as the pulse oximeters, reading light, UV light. So the darker your skin, the less accurate this machine will be if you have a fever. It will miss it. It could miss it. And in fact, a study out of Emory University demonstrated that. And not only that, it further showed that oral, the higher your temperature, the higher your fever, the more inaccurate are the forehead thermometers on people of color. And the more accurate the oral thermometer, the old-fashioned ones you stick in your mouth under your tongue. Yes, yes, yes. That is more accurate for the Black population. Obviously, Black people, like many races, come in many different skin tones. Right, right. So I want to be clear that we're talking about the amount of melanin in your skin. And that incorporates the majority of people in the world. The majority of the world is not white. And so, so, so let me ask you this. Well, I don't I, how how do we get around that though? I mean, what do we do? And so when we talk about why this is, mm -hmm. this is equipment that has been developed and physicians, and we could talk about physicians and implicit bias and all of that, but I don't know mm -hmm. if we have time today. So what I'm going to talk about is we will say that physicians have the best intentions. They are not or we are not trained to investigate the development of a piece of equipment. We are trained to use the equipment, to understand the information, to interpret that information and to apply it to patient care. Mm -hmm. We're not trained to ask, where did this information come from and how did it get there? So doctors are inadvertently giving guidance to patients, making decisions on patients based on faulty information. They're using the information correctly, but the information itself no, it's is not derived and being correct mm -hmm. in a biased way. That's correct. So is there, are there, is there anything afoot, a move? Is there a move to well, I hope so. I, I certainly speak out on it. I've been silent, I've been silent about we it at all. To, we need to right? take that. I that's am so a yeah, yeah, we're going to have to. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, so as, as a medical professional, though, knowing this, or do most doctors know this? Or is this research that's new? Um. I don't know. I'm trying to get a handle on how many doctors know it. We're certainly working to socialize it. I see more and more publications out about it. I certainly speak out about it on social media. I've given grand rounds on it at multiple places. I've spoken at conferences. I'm going to make um, sure everybody listening to this podcast, we are going to share it. Mm -hmm. Like, share, subscribe, share, and make sure that we get this information out to our communities. Right. And, you know, during COVID, um, certainly the alpha, beta and delta surges, which very much were uh, impacting people's lungs, people were intubated. We saw these high death rates mm -hmm. early before um, the vaccine. Mm -hmm. This uh, a machine called a spirometer, which uh, people may or may not be uh, uh, mm -hmm. familiar with. But mm -hmm. after you recover from COVID, you're at home, but not just COVID patients, patients with asthma, patients mm -hmm. with infected lung disease. Mm -hmm. You blow into this machine that you may see at your allergist's office, your mm -hmm. pulmonologist's mm -hmm. office, and it measures your lung capacity. How much lung capacity do you have? How much air can you force out of your lungs in uh, a short a, a period of time? It measures that. Well, inherent in the software of the machine, so the developers built it this way, 
they automatically calculate a black person's lung capacity as being inferior to that of a white person's by 15 to 20%. Therefore, any result that you get from that spirometer that's low, if you were white, you might be treated with a different medication, changed to a different inhaler, referred for more advanced and specialized care. But if you are black, they will say, oh, that is normal for you. And you can go home where what? You're only going to progress and get worse. That's what I'm talking about, being triaged to not only a lower level of care, but a lower level of concern. We're not concerned. That's normal for you. That started with Thomas Jefferson, President Thomas Jefferson in the 1700s. He, no medical background, let me be clear, but <laughs> like social media today, had a big platform. He was the president of the United States and he was a big slave owner, right? So yeah. he had a big platform. So he proclaimed in his observations of all of his slaves that they had a 20% lower lung capacity. I don't know how he came up with it. That's just what he said. A hundred years later, a physician, a white physician, we're in the 1800s now, also a slave owner, um, <laughs> supported that premise with his quote unquote research. Mm -hmm. And then the real shame is hundred years later, we're talking about now, Ninety. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We actually had a task force in the United States that upheld that. And after that point is when software developers began to incorporate it into the software of their machinery. So this is systemic. This is systemic. You see how things just get pushed along and mm -hmm. then get validated by by you know people and and um, and bodies. And so that's where we are with. Um, spirometry, incredibly important in managing um, lung disease, but important in making certain that everybody can get access to the absolute best care as soon as possible when you need it to prevent further deterioration, to improve your health, um, and on and on and on. I mean, there are many, many, again, you're, you're welcome to come to my, um, my um, social media pages. Mm -hmm. um, it's literally 60 seconds. I'm taking a long time to explain it here, but on my on my on my social media, I'm going to take 60 seconds to tell yeah. you what I just told you, and mm -hmm. you can move on to the next one. Yeah, yeah. I I mean this I mean this information is so. I mean, it really really jarred me when I heard this um, before when you shared this at the brunch, and I was like, so so if. You're using your platform, mm -hmm. your social media, Stairwell Chronicles. I'm using my pulpit at the church to educate my congregation and others that listen to us or follow our ministry. I'm using my podcast. Wow. But what else can we do as a community to um, to bring awareness to these things and particularly as relates to heart disease and lung diseases and things that are shortening our lifespan as a community, as a people. What else can we do? Um, Continue to write about it, publish about it, advocate for yourselves. Something that I would like to bring to the attention of your audience, but before we sign off, that's very important, mm -hmm. is um, kidney disease, which is very pervasive in the Black community for a number of reasons. We have a high rate of um, high blood pressure, and that's another talk that I give on bias, but we have a high rate of, of blood pressure, of high blood pressure and obesity. And because of that, we have a high rate of kidney disease where there's something called the EGFR. Every doctor knows it. We use it on every single patient to determine what your kidney function is. EGFR stands for estimated glomerular filtration rate. Glomeruli are inside the kidney. Everybody mm -hmm. uses it. Um, it is based on a formula called MDRD, Modified Diet and Renal Disease, or C, uh, um, CKD epi, Chronic Kidney Disease epi. These are two formulas. Um, doctors know 
know the formulas. We had to learn them in medical school. But after medical school, you never use them. Why? Because the pathologist uses them. When you send the blood to the lab, the pathologist does that calculation. EGFR is a calculation. It's not a, it's not a value that we draw on the blood. They okay. use a number of things and they do this calculation in the lab and then send you back the EGFR. Well, both of those calculations, MDRD and CKD-EPI, have a race factor in them, a multiplication factor. So in other words, whatever your value is, if you are African-American and it's called AA, African-American, that's the multiplication factor, you then multiply that number by a number which artificially increases your EGFR, meaning your kidney function. So it makes your kidney function appear better than it really is. And what does that mean? That means you don't get referred uh, for uh, specialized care mm -hmm. by nephrologists. You start medications to protect your kidney late. You go on to kidney transplant list late. Maybe even never get a kidney transplant because you have waited so long. It's taken you so long to be on that list while your white colleagues have gone onto the list immediately because they didn't have that race factor applied to them. Actually, just this month, the board has taken an unprecedented, unprecedented correction um, position and have said that every black person on a kidney on the kidney transplant list needs to be escalated and they want to go back and see how long that person was on the list and how long should they have been on the list and to push people to the front because now we recognize it's not how long you've been on the list it's how long you were kept off the list oh, oh. Oh my goodness. And we've and we are now working to correct that. That's just this month, hot off the press. This is only February 14th. That's this month. <laughs> the last two weeks. So you may know something that even doctors don't even know yet. Wow. Um, to wow. try to correct for all of the uh the the racism that has kept people from getting the kidney transplants that that uh, that we needed. We perish for the lack of knowledge and the knowledge that you are giving and sharing, not just, you know, not just in your, your stairwell chronicles, but in your speeches and coming on podcasts like this. And I saw, read in your bio, the work that you're doing with CNN and other, um, you, th you didn't think you were in communications, but you are in communications. And I'm so glad you are in communications because this is so, so important in order for us to change the narrative we've got to know. And I just believe when we know better, we can do better. Um, I, you know, I, you know, being a pastor and a theologian, course my my work is in bible and theology and so i'm preaching and teaching um a holistic message a theology of self-care and i tell my people we don't just perish for a lack of knowledge but we also per perish from a lack of of uh action mm -hmm. so it's not so much it's not the truth that we know cerebral but it's the truth that we know through experience and through applying that knowledge to mm -hmm. our lives. And so can you just, as we prepare to wrap up, can you talk to us about um, healthy lifestyle habits that we can take into our own control and sure. um, maybe so that we don't have to be a statistic mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in some of these areas, um, things that we can do preventatively. Cause I am, um, I am convinced that, um, uh, and I'm sure I'm sure you've heard this and probably said it. Preventative medicine is always better than corrective mm -hmm. medicine or whatever. And so things that we can do on the front end, health wise, uh, lifestyle habits, our relationship with food and exercise and, you know, putting harmful things, toxic things in our bodies, smoking and things like that. And even the health screenings and um and clinical trials that we may need to be more educated and participate, educated on and participate in. 
So I'll talk about maybe just three things that people, you know, maybe don't know. So I'm sort of going to, you know, stick to science. I mean, I think everybody knows to try to eat more vegetables, exercise, take your medication. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to talk about a couple of other things. So um, women go through different stages of our lives during a pregnancy. If during your pregnancy, you've ever been told you have something called preeclampsia, eclampsia, pregnancy-induced hypertension, Mm -hmm. hypertension, or even gestational diabetes, Mm -hmm. your risk of future heart disease now has been established to be two times higher than any woman who does not get any of those diagnoses during her pregnancy. So after delivery of your baby, you must be referred to a cardiologist for care, for preventive management and for care, because pregnancy is really the first stress test for a woman. This is such a volume overload. And if you developed any of those conditions, you have failed your stress test. And like anybody else who comes to a cardiologist's office and fails their stress test, they're going to be referred on for more highly specialized care. So consider that those diagnoses during pregnancy represent a failed stress test. And if Mm. your doctor is unaware, you ask and advocate to be referred to a cardiologist for care. Next thing that I will uh, discuss is another phase in a woman's life, menopause or perimenopause. Mm -hmm. And so we know that the number one killer of women in the United States is not breast cancer, it's heart disease. And as you go through menopause, that risk only increases. In fact, it becomes equal to that of men because of the loss of estrogen Mm -hmm. and the increase in lipids. Mm -hmm. We now know that hormone replacement therapy should be offered to all women. This is estrogen or estrogen and progesterone. The reason it's not offered is that there was research coming out of the 1990s that showed that these hormones are harmful to women during mm-hmm. menopause. But as we've gone back to look at those studies, we see that they did not stratify by age. And new studies are showing that if you can start hormone replacement therapy prior to the age of 60, is actually protected against not only your heart, but against cancer as well. Okay. So this therapy is not for everybody. But you need to find out if it's for you, because mm-hmm. most people can take it, have this conversation with your doctor. Do not be surprised if your doctor is still unaware. This is very new. I'm in research, right? This is my job to know what's happening. So you may actually have to bring something up, but they we're rapidly socializing this information as well. And okay. not only does hormone replacement therapy provide protection for your heart, it also can control all of those symptoms of um, of menopause, hot flashes, sleepiness, yeah. um, all of that yeah. also yeah. helpful. And then the third thing that I will say that people may, may not think about is dentition. Mm. Your teeth. Yes. Did you know that the more bacteria you have in your mouth, mm. the more likely it is to get into the bloodstream and infect your heart and your heart valves? where maybe the only way we can fix that is with surgery to your heart. This is most evident if you're suffering from gingivitis. Mm -hmm. You may know you have gingivitis if you have red or swollen gums, receding Mm -hmm. gum lines, maybe even bad breath, loose teeth. This is a sign of gingivitis and you need to see your dentist right away. We also want to encourage you to make certain that you keep up with your dental appointments twice a year at a minimum to keep your teeth clean because we now know that's not only important for good And change your toothbrush after you go to your dentist. Not (laughs) only is it important for good oral health, it's Mm -hmm. also important for your heart health. Your heart health. So those are the three things that maybe I would review today that you may not hear from someone else you may okay. not be able to find those okay so so let's real quick real quick so the first thing is the whole pregnancy pre- pregnancy, and pregnancy pregnancy menopause and our dental health that's right okay thank you thank you because okay. you're right most things we hear about you know the eating and the and the exercise but those things we have not heard enough and i do know um um 
I I have I see my dentist and because uh years ago I was um diagnosed with uh gingivitis. Now for the last oh gosh, maybe 10 or 12 years or now or more, I actually see my dentist and my periodontist. Mm-hmm. And I see them I, every three months. I'm in one or the other. And and it, to continue to make sure I'm clean, my teeth are clean, my gums are clean and things of that nature. So I go every three months. I'm either with my dentist or I'm with, uh, you know, back and forth. So I had my dentist. Then three months later, I'm with my my uh, ortho, my uh, periodontist. Then I see my dentist three months after her. So I see both of them twice a year. And I'm telling you, it makes a difference. It, may, right. it makes a difference. A huge difference. And it makes a difference for your heart, too. People don't think about that. So if your teeth um, and having good oral health is not enough of a motivator for you, think about that it's protecting your heart. It's protecting your heart. Oh, Dr. Jane, you you are a blessing to our community. You are a blessing uh, to women, particularly Black women. Um, and I just want to thank you. I appreciate your willingness to come on this podcast. You didn't know me from Adam's house cat, <laughs> but um, thank you. I appreciate um, your spirit and your passion. I, I started there and I want to, I want to um, kind of end there in saying how much I appreciate your passion for getting this, uh, for your community, for our community and making sure that um, we can live long and live healthy uh, mm-hmm. lives. I want to let everyone know where they can find you. I um, Pretty much all of your social media is at Dr. Jane Morgan, correct? Right. Exactly. And you're on TikTok. I'm on TikTok too. Oh, you're on TikTok too? Wow. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So, so um, Stairwell Chronicles is uh, .com is mm-hmm. her website. Um, right. You can follow her on uh, Facebook. I have her Facebook there, Jane Middlebrooks Morgan. Mm-hmm. She's on Instagram uh, at Dr. Jane Morgan. She's on Twitter at uh, Dr. Jane Morgan. On YouTube, you can go to her YouTube channel. I've been on all of them. I didn't. I'm gonna now go follow you on TikTok as well because I'm on TikTok as well. Right. And um, she's also on LinkedIn, Dr. Uh, Jane Morgan, MD. And is your handle on Twitter the same, Dr. Jane? Yes, Dr. Jane Morgan. Dr. Absolutely. Jane Morgan. And so, and my and also my webpage is sterilchronicles.com or drjanemorgan.com. Or drjanemorgan.com. Dr. Jane Morgan, and she spells Jane for those who are listening. And if you're not on YouTube, go to our YouTube channel, go to my YouTube channel and subscribe and share. Subscribe and share. Listen, we have to get these messages out. She spells Jane, J-A-Y-N-E, J-A-Y-N-E Morgan, J-A-Y-N-E Morgan. I say, I spell it for those who may be listening to us um, and not on YouTube seeing your name spelled on the screen. But listen, if you're not on YouTube, I want to encourage you to go to YouTube Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Subscribe to Dr. Jane Morgan's YouTube channel. Everybody, you know, a lot of people like to listen to podcasts um, on uh, Apple and Google and Spotify as you're walking. And we want to encourage you to do that. We're not saying don't do that. But also go and, and subscribe and share to our YouTube channels. Let me tell you why. Because Google and YouTube are the number one search engine in the world all google everybody goes to youtube it's youtube university right and so um when you go to our youtube channels and you like and you subscribe and you comment and you share what happens is you will allow you will cause shows like my show the harmonize your life podcast Dr. Jane Morgan's um, YouTube channel, we get we become higher up in the analytics. So when someone Googles African-American women, health, wellness, mental health, heart disease, all those kind of things, black women, put in any of those hot keywords in Google and, you, and you're on YouTube and you put those in, guess what happens? Our shows come up higher and higher in the analytics and people don't have to go 15 pages down in those search engines to find us. Help us help you by getting the word out. Like it doesn't cost you anything to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. My YouTube channel 
Um, you can go to my website at drtonyalvarado.com. You can find it there. You can go straight to YouTube, Dr. Tony G. Alvarado. If you're listening, you can also find this podcast on Anchor, Apple, Google, and Spotify. And women, I want you to join the Harmonize Your Life Women's Self-Care Network. We are concerned about health, wellness, fitness, mental health, every aspect of our lives, finances, relationships, recreation, everything that helps us to live healthy, whole, holistic, harmonious lifestyles. And when you become a part of the Harmonize Your Life Women's Self-Care Network by going to my website, you can be a part of this community and you don't have to do life alone. You don't have to learn these things by yourself. We support one another. We encourage one another and we hold one another accountable for living healthy lives. Dr. Jane, will you just give us one last word of encouragement as you as we prepare to leave? I say, everybody, please take your heart health seriously. Follow me, send questions. I might develop a stairwell chronicle around your question. If you have the question, probably other people do as well. Um, I'm happy to answer it for everyone. Again, if you follow me, I talk science. This past weekend was my birthday, so I threw a, a little birthday stuff in there. That was a little bit different. But generally, I just talk about science. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. Happy birthday to you thank as well. You. Thank you. All right, you all. Thank you for being a part of our March series of the Harmonize Your Life podcast, Women's Health. We are changing the narrative, you all, one woman at a time. We are getting the information out there. We're having these conversations that are enlightening and informing and changing lives in our community. Stay with us in the Harmonize Your Life podcast with your host, Dr. Tony G. Alvarado. We'll see you soon. Thank you.